Okay, so uh, so the, the next will be clustering, 
And also we will all, uh, look through uh, some of these uh, online analytical processing of OLAP uh, using data cubes, frequent well counting uh, values. Uh, for example, in the supermarket uh, chain, we want to know the sales in one shop, but also in the region, in the country, in different time periods, make comparisons and make dashboards with the analytical data from the database. But this all up online analytical processing uh, requires speed and uh, output visualization of the existing data. So let's come back to this predictive analytics. We want to predict something, and obviously we cannot be 100% certain almost ever. We will make mistakes. That means different classifiers have different quality in predictions. We can do two types of mistakes. We can call something wrongly into the class, or we can omit something wrongly from the class. So we do false positives, we predict it falsely to the class. We do false negatives, we omit something from being negative. So we have uh, so we should have classified them positively. So uh, the next uh, slide is represents these two types of errors, which statistics calls type one and type two error. Uh, false positive. Doctor says to a man you are pregnant. You know that you cannot be pregnant, right? So this is a false positive. Doctor makes a call, pregnant, but you know the true value, not. And this is. Then if you are not pregnant, you're obviously pregnant woman. And these two may have different uh, consequences. So they may have different consequences on the different costs involved. So uh, actually with this, uh, with, this, with this ROC analysis, you can sort of uh, plug in the cost and try to say what is the sweet spot, sort of like, do we need more be correct in our predictions, we go as up as possible. Uh, so we are not allowed to do any false. There are still this many false uh, predictions, but all these are true predictions, these are false predictions. So ratio of true versus false is small. So, uh, but when we go further, yes, we get more truths in, but we start making more false mistakes. So uh, I did see some of the pain in the homework uh, sessions on, on your anonymous commentaries, but in, in a way, if you think through, uh, it should. The idea is that you saw your, your classifier, many of the classifiers give out probabilities or some, this is my first call. This is my second best bet. And these are the ways how you start going, whether your first bet is correct, 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 false. So your best bets have to be as correct as possible. Uh, so that gives this overall quality of the classifier. Uh, okay, um, uh, I hope that you have seen the news. <laughs> so when will we um, next Tuesday, we will open envelopes and see who the architect was. So after that, with the architect's team, 
negotiated the, the, the actual planning phase and the university has big hopes that this, there is another target building at the moment, right? <laughs> so this will be destroyed, demolished, gone forever and we hope that this can uh, start uh, next January or as soon as possible. And, uh, and this should be ready uh, ideally uh, for September 2019. So from 20, 2017, 2018. I don't know if it's two and a half years, it, it's, it's, maybe it's even two. Maybe it can be even sooner. How many you are? <laughs> there are no empty spaces in there. <laughs>
the test data, optimal classifier, and to find the optimal, uh, there is optimization set needed, and uh, therefore some of these uh, some of these methods, as long as we agree what is the basic goal that we want to achieve, some of the mathematical optimization methods can uh, can uh, optimize for these uh, uh, for these uh, methods. And uh, I believe what well, uh, Anna also talked about k nearest neighbors. Uh, you have a new case. You just look at the past data, fetch k out of them, and from that take the majority vote. So this is, we have previous instances. We pick the k previous closest instances from the database, just do a database lookup, and that is our, gives us uh, our out outcome. Okay, so I will, uh, I, I, I did not change my slides, so they are, they are there. I will skip over these uh, linear regression, try to predict the continuous variable, and then the question is which function would predict the best and the one that minimizes the error from the from the line. So these are the errors and then square error. If 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 you do a gross mistake, then you punish by the square error. So basically this is a one side and square error in the area uh, over there. So small errors are fine, big errors are bad. And then for that uh, you can find such arguments that minimize uh, the error function. Uh, if this is uh, if this is the, the mean error or the sort of like average error, then from the statistics you know that mean is something that can jump a lot. We have this story about Bill Gates entering the stadium and the mean suddenly increased by 10 fold. One outlier can change the mean a lot. Linear regression, of course you can tune the linear regression so that you trim off the outliers, then you have the more stable, but the alternatives could be also that you, you try to use more stable uh, function. Uh, median is out of all the numbers, who is the most average? And take that value. And even if you uh, have some outliers, the average still would be the same value. So the me median would be something that is more stable, but on the other hand, it's more discrete. It's just one of the existing data points. And when you start uh, finding uh, the line, the optimal line that doesn't change, uh, does not optimize for that. Does not optimize for the over all the errors that it makes. This is the error and square error. You sum up all the errors and then you take average. Imagine if you did not do it for over all the errors, but you just said the most. We take one of the errors that is most uh, average out of all the errors. <coughs> so median is something that is it's kind of only one error but one that is most average in one way it's uh, more stable but on the other hand it, it's, uh, if you switch to the next error it can be already different 
So the, the for small changes, very small changes, as you know, this epsilon, uh, the, the smallest change changes a little bit the sum of error, right? It's very continuous, smooth surface. You, you tune this line A. Epsilon and some delta will be changed with average error. But if you do median error, somewhere in the crossing point epsilon, that suddenly changes the, the, to the next uh, error, and that can be a discrete jump. So the, the surface is not any, anymore so smooth. Intuitively, mathematically, when you have very smooth surface, then optimization is easy. If it's continuous surface, you just look at the tiny delta, you see which direction it optimizes, which, which one direction goes down, and you follow that gradient descent, you go down. If it's smooth surface, then you just go downhill to the local minimum or local maximum. Errors we want to minimize, uh, some other objective function we may want to maximize. Uh, so these are these optimization techniques. But if we, if we switch <coughs> the, the optimization value from this smooth surface to something that is more discrete, the median error, then what may happen is that our surface becomes more rough. So our surface becomes more rough. So this was mean error, this is very smooth, but this is median error, which is more rough, and then the optimization is can be slightly more complicated. Although, in principle, we just change from the mean to median error. But now you're equipped with all tons of optimization methods from algorithmic background, genetic uh, programming, uh, um, so all the all kind of uh, random search techniques, simulated naming, uh, whatever we teach now in the algorithmics course, which I know many of you did not take. But the search techniques like genetic algorithms, like differential evolution, evolutionary methods, trying to look at the, some of the combinations, trying to make a better ones out of those, uh, they help us optimize for these uh, kind of functions. So on one hand, we have the machine learning, it's defined, this is what we want to optimize, this is what we want to have, right? And then the different question is, how do we find it? What is the algorithm to achieve this goal? Okay, so uh, this was about uh, uh, regression. Now, k nearest neighbor, as I said, if you have a new data point, you just do a lookup from the database. Uh, if your k is three, and this is these one, two, three are the nearest neighbors, obviously you would call this a red triangle, right? A green dot you would call label it with a red right triangle. Two out of three are red triangles. If our k nearest neighbor happens to be five, you fetch five instances and three out of five are blue squares, therefore we would call the green one a blue square. k nearest neighbor. Uh, maybe you can tune it a little bit, say, uh, in probability, once that are closer, we trust these more, have some sort of weight on top of this k. Uh, the closer ones will have bigger effect, probabilistically or statistically or whatever. And then 
then you can do a weighty form. But the, the most uh, purest form is just take, uh, select K, fetch from the database K instances and make the call based on those. Um, if you have one nearest neighbor, this boils down to something that is called the Voronoi diagram. So uh, if this is the instance in the database, the red dots, then the, the areas around them will be labeled by that red square. So anything in here is closest to this point in here. Between this point and that point, there is this line that separates these two classes. So basically, this is the Voronoi diagram for one nearest neighbor search. Later, we will do clustering, which will be representation, representative based K means clustering. And these are also, if you, if you, if you do clustering, uh, we say K clusters we want to identify and represent each K by one representative. So anything that is closest to this cluster center will be labeled that cluster by that cluster center. So the same idea will be used in the, in the clustering. How to achieve good partitioning of the space into meaningful groups of data points. All the data points will be missing in here, just one representative in here. But I do mention this, what is called the Voronoi diagram of the space. Okay, um, so k nearest neighbor is, is really, uh, really simple. You don't need to uh, train anything, but you want to care about efficient storage, efficient indexing in high dimensional spaces. And actually, making efficient search in the high dimensional spaces is not trivial. Doing a database lookup for certain phone numbers in Chinese uh, uh, phone directory is easy. We just do binary search or use text, uh, the index of the database. But if, if you have multidimensional data, then doing the search for nearest instances is not easy task. If you may end up going through the entire database to measure the distances and fetch the k nearest ones. So indexing structures should bring you the close instances quickly. So you, you should care about the speed and accuracy of the classification. So efficiencies should be uh, kind of tricky for the dangerous neighbor. Because the, the bigger the data set, the, the slower will be the lookup. Okay, so uh, Again, what we want to find uh, use as the classifiers are sort of different types of methods. We fetch the decision trees. We can generalize these into decision forests. Uh, there is part of machine, uh, part of logical programming. How many of you have done uh, prolog or logical programming? Some of you. You know that you set the rules and you you ask whether this will be true or not. But there is a, something that is called inductive logical programming, where from the cases, the rules will be sort of discovered. We want to discover the rules from the instances, want to generalize uh, some rules. So reverse, uh, or sort of like using the logic programming analogy, you can deduce some rules. 
And then one of these kind of uh, statistical reasons uh, in here in the probabilistic models, we touched the IE phase, which assumes that all the variables are independent for class one and class two. Every variable x, y is independent. Therefore, we can multiply the probabilities together. And then what uh, we recently talked about are these optimization techniques. We define what will be the optimal by the mathematical function. The line that makes the smallest sum of errors will be optimal, and then we try to find that line. Uh, or, just mention these k nearest neighbors, previous instances, try to look at the previous instances on the database, k nearest neighbor, or previously we estimated some kernel densities, sort of density estimation, and then try to call from there the data. Um, we will come to this support vector machine. So the goal is one, predict, but the, the different bag of techniques, how you can predict, is quite large. And depending on your data, one or the other may work better. Um, there is no such thing that one would always work best, uh, best uh, one, would, one method would always beat the others. There is no such thing. We will come back later to this no free lunch uh, theorem. And if these methods are not enough, one by one, then you can always put them together. Do all of them, or a big part of them. Make ensembles of classifiers. And <coughs> apply many, uh, many different techniques and try to see what is the consensus out of the many techniques. And, uh, and then you can uh, uh, try to do this consensus in different ways, try to boost some, some rare examples to try to fit uh, stronger into the data or not. So there are all, all kinds of mathematical uh, theoretical ways how to uh, make this boost, uh, make these ensemble learners uh, better. Okay. Uh, how many of you recognize what this is? One, two, three, four, five. This is a early take on on a artificial neuron in your brain. This is artificial neuron that takes uh, different inputs. It can be a neural cell that has lots of different ends. And if two of those will get the signal of pain, this one will fire pain up in the network. You can say that if, if you get sufficient inputs in here, you have, in this case, seven inputs, you can make a mathematical, uh, basically, sum. You can say if, if three out of the seven give signal, then this one will launch the signal further. But this is uh, three out of seven, is just if they would be totally equal. This is not the case. You can add weights, so you can weigh more uh, different uh, inputs, and then you have a weighted sum of these inputs. You can think of inputs as zero, one inputs, and then you add weights. Uh, and then depending what will be the, the weighted sum of these inputs, 
uh, what is the threshold uh, you can call the decision to fire this neuron. What we see is, in fact, is a is a linear classifier in the very high dimensional space, seven dimensional space. So it's a seven dimensional plane. And you ask, are you on one side of the plane or the other side? On one side, the weighted sum is less than the threshold, then you have zero output. If you're on the other side, the weighted sum is more than threshold, then you launch the signal. So basically, this type of uh, perceptron is just a linear uh, classifier for one side or the other side of the hyperplane. So with this weighted sum, you can simulate uh, just a hyperplane in, in space. You can add some constant value at uh, a plus constant. Or minus constant. You can you can do this as well. So the base do not do not need to be positive. Base can also be negative. You can say that unless x five, let's make the weight for x five large negative value. Unless x five, uh, your sum will never be above some threshold. So this person term is a a simplistic way to think of how the network works. And then the output variable will be 0, 1. Actually, it will be sort of uh, thresholded. Uh, it will be 0, and then it will be become 1 slowly. There are different ways how to do that. But I, uh, intuitively, you just say output is 0, 1. Or in some rare cases, you are, you are sort of like on one side or the other. It could be 0 0.6 in some cases. But uh, it will have to be from 0 to 1 very quickly. The, the field of neural network research that seemed to be sort of promising in the beginning, that that's, so this is roughly how we think our neurons work. Neurons not in the, only in the brain, but also the signal from the anywhere you get the pain. Uh, if this is the way how the neurons work, then you can do the mathematical uh, asking what is the best hyperplane separating pluses and minuses, you can actually train the single neuron perceptron to find the weights such that you have on one side pluses and the other side minuses. So it, by changing slowly the, the weights by new instance, it's all should be plus, but you have it minus. So let's turn it so that it will be classified as plus, right? So we, we can train the perceptron by slowly adjusting this hyperplane. This is just a hyperplane. What was the problem with this was that once uh, there were some researchers who stepped in and said, hey, in this way, with this person term, you cannot express uh, something that is a function that is called exclusive or. You know very well the exclusive or. Exclusive or is something where you have pluses there, minuses there, uh, pluses there. There is no 
one straight line that can separate pluses from the minuses. True. You cannot find such line that separates pluses from the minuses. And then the entire field of neural networks stopped for 20 years. It was not popular anymore. I may be exaggerating a little bit. But the entire field of neural, artificial neural networks, ANN, which is different from KNN. K nearest neighbors was nothing to do with neural networks. ANN, artificial neural networks. Um, so you have an open AMN and KNN. These are two different things. The NNs uh, being different things. Uh, so you have to take a note. Later, we also will find that kernel is something that is two different things. You have only heard about one meaning. So single network, single neuron is not so powerful. It's a message. But what was not thought in this case was actually that you can combine the networks in the in the layers and in deep structures because it's not the single neuron that makes decisions but it's a network of neurons so in fact uh, so these are inputs uh, you can have the different inputs like barrier thermal detection shape of four different inputs then you have one two three four five six neurons that depend uh, that make these uh, decisions in here, four inputs, some weighted sum, and then depending, uh, it's, is it linear on one side or the other side, you can call it, uh, does it this uh, neuron fire or not? In this case, it has shown if it fires yes, then it classifies uh, cancer as benign or, or, or not dangerous, type, but if it fires one, well, I said, it depends on zero one, how you, how you want to say it. But if it fires the other value, then it's called uh, malignant. Actually, it's not called malignant input directly, but it, this decision is this answer denied or malignant is not taken on, on these neurons alone. These neurons in here take input from many uh, neurons from below, as in here, make another sum, weighted sum, and make the decision. So, in fact, you can. Uh, you can have one hyperplane RU on this side or that side, one neuron can decide that, and then the other neuron will decide RU on this side or this side, and if you have on this side and this side, then yes, or on this side, this side, yes. So you can combine these different things. So with this, you can already express uh, this exclusive order. And uh, with this type of neural networks, you can also train what will be the classic uh, the class labels. You have the input cases. You push through the value calculations in here. You observe that you did the wrong call. Then you try to adjust the weights of all the hyperplanes in the network that are needed and uh, make sure that next time that will be classified better. And then you keep training this network uh, in different uh, 
in different optimization uh, ways. Okay, so individually, these uh, larger neural networks are composed of single person programs, single linear classifiers. So linear classifier is a hyperplane for which you can calculate, so basically you can calculate, depending on x1 and x2, you can make the, uh, the definition of, of the line in two, uh, two dimensions, and then uh, function for specific x1, x2 uh, data point, this is a point somewhere in the space, uh, you can basically express what will be the sign value of this. Are you going to be on one side, positive value or negative value? Are you going to be above or below this linear classifier? So, Weights one one equal weights and uh, the these plus three so it starts constant from there and then it's a it's a line so you can calculate but but this generalizes directly to the hyperplanes in higher dimensions it's a weighted uh, sum of uh, dimensions across dimensions x one x two x three x four etc so the the sign this is the definition of the hyperplane in high dimensions. And your classification can be on one side or the other side of this hyperplane. Now, question is, we will get examples, and we will try to fit one of the hyperplanes through the data points. The question is, which hyperplane? The one that separates pluses from minuses. But maybe there are many. In this example, there are blue and red that both separate perfectly black from the white dots. Which one is a better classifier? They both are perfect on training data, but which one is better for the future cases? Sorry? The red. The red. It has a maximum margin. You, you define something that is called uh, mathematically expressed margin. That means if you put the red line in here, that maximizes, separates the best the two classes, um, then that would be better than just another classifier that just does the job. Right? So in the case of early training of person drugs, it was enough to just do the job once. Any that does the job, classification is correct, we don't need to correct for anything. And then many years later, so basically uh, uh, starts the uh, discussion that basically we can define what is the optimal linear separator and then try to maximize the margin uh, between uh, the classes. Uh, okay, yeah, you, you have all the all the text in here, but I want to 
there is also a third classifier that probably is not does not look good at all, right? So uh, linear classification is we want to find this linear classifier learned. We want to minimize training error. You know, so often you find algorithms that are hard to optimize. Minimizing the training error can be anything complete. So exhaustive search. Um, then minimizing sum of error squares, we do not make any errors with a blue classifier. We collect, classify everything correct, black or white on the training table. We have achieved minimal classifier. There is no error in the classification. It's not sufficient to just train optimally for the classifier. Maximizing the margin is doable, well founded by the statistical learning theory because you want to have something that that in future hopefully works the best. And in future it probably works best if you can somehow find that the widest margin or something like in future it's the most uh, hopefully best classifier. But we, we call for different types of optimization. Um, the margin classification turns out to be relatively easy because you just have a few data points uh, that you want to classify the, the make the margin. So this is a line, and it's enough to have just one, two, three or data points that will define the margin. So somehow you don't care about all the other data points. You just look at a small number of data points that define you the margin. The question is that you don't know in advance about other close ones, right? But but it's it ends up in just looking at a hyperplane and some of the closest data points, the distance from the hyperplane to a particular point, and a small number of these points. So it ends up in uh, asking for optimal classifier uh, that is defined automatically is defined by by largest margin to closest data points. And uh, turns out that if you can actually uh, do this, you have the hyperplanes to the distances to the margins, you can define what is the, the width of this margin, and it is want to maximize for the width without making any mistakes, then you can maximize for the width. But sometimes your data points will be necessarily on the other side, then the trouble is you can't make perfect separation. You have to punish somehow these misclassifications. So then it becomes soft, softer margin, but still you want to maximize margin with the with the understanding that there may be some misclassifications still. So you want to punish for misclassifications, but still want to maximize for the margin. So these uh, if this is the maximum margin classifier, then these data points in here that define the margin, so these would be these uh, support vectors. So through these uh, values, we define the vector that is supporting this classifier. So these two support vectors uh, define the, the classifier between the black and, and white. The 
basically, and, and they also define this linear separation line. In all these cases, it's important that from algebra, linear algebra, you uh, understand what is a plane, what is a hyperplane, what is a point, what is the distance from a point to a plane. It is a length of this perpendicular uh, vector or sort of like distance from this. Uh, so the mathematical formulations of these distances, and based on those, you can, for any point x and the plane, you can define what will be the distance from the point x to the hyperplane. Uh, then, uh, then you can have the distance from any points. If everything is classified correctly, then you can uh, look at that uh, through the all the yi's, so all the all the data uh, points, and then define the margins as as smallest uh, i. So basically, the the the, the minimize this value, pick the y's that minimize the margin, but basically that uh, that make the smallest. And this one, yes. and then, it, then this this would be this and this one, right? So two dots give you the one line, and this one will be parallel to this one, and then you have then you have two support vectors, and then you have width between the two support vectors. So what we now try to do is we define that we want want to have the support vectors which maximize for the width, the broadest. So you choose two dots from every point, and from one side you choose two dots, from one side you choose one. Yeah, I think this is enough to find that. On, on, on this, uh, on these two-dimensional cases, this is enough. For high-dimensional cases, it, it, it requires more points. But this is something that mathematically can be optimized. And what is the beauty is that that one defines what will be the margins, we want to have the maximum, we want to. Uh, uh, let me see the uh, if we divide by width, so that we that we will be we want to have larger width, so if we divide then we want to have the the uh, smaller values, a larger uh, margin. Uh, so basically, we want to uh, find such ar arguments that minimize minimize uh, uh, 
make sure that we classify correct and at the same time uh, make the largest margin between the two sides. We, of course, we want to make sure that we have the planes that separate correctly one side and the other. And then, then this can be defined as an optimization function, which then linear algebra toolboxes have been able to solve uh, efficiently and optimally. So this, after we define this, goes and you can do it with efficient optimization algorithm. The problem is sometimes we cannot make the perfect classification. There will be inevitably on one side or the other side errors, and then we want to make sure that we also minimize error. So we take the errors into account, all the errors that we make, but we still uh, want to, to have a large margin, yet uh, punished for the, for the errors. And this is what is called support vector machine. Find the, the support vectors that will separate the two classes taking into account that if there are errors, then we punish for the for the these errors. So support vector machines have been used for, for classification, plus and minus classification, but also similar ideas would be for regression. Uh, so uh, last time uh, Anna uh, touched upon the, the how to take into account the errors. And uh, there are these uh, errors will be from the errors that you make, but also from the from the classifier itself. That we are back to the question: How correctly we classify? What is the error of the classifier on this data? But also the complexity of the of the model. So we want to have relatively simple complexity, simple classifier that does not make too many errors. And then the complexity of the model could be something that if you have in high dimension space, thousand dimensions, then the complexity could be something that I want only as few attributes selected out of the thousand as possible. Ten attributes used out of the thousand is better than all the thousand used. So the, there will be penalty for these different uh, different uh, variable uh, uh, weights on, on the hypothesis. So if we, can, if we can find a linear classifier that uses less attributes, that is better than using all the dimensions. So there will be penalty associated uh, with, the, with the complexity of the model or how complex the hyperplane is. And then you have still the error uh, classification, so you, you, you don't want to make many errors. Right? So we want to have the optimization that minimizes errors and complexity together. So if some error, if correcting some error will largely increase the complexity of the model, maybe that is not necessary. Maybe we would overtrain by making more complex models. Remember, simpler rules are better. So this is the rough idea of the, of the linear classifications, but the problem is you have not asked, can the data be separated linearly?
with a bunch of tools available for linear algebra that you optimize for these test planes, hyperplanes, linearly separating one side from the other. You can, uh, it can be expressed in a single neuron. It can be made, made into layer neurons and still finding the hyperplanes. But if the data is not linear, what then? The trick is that then we try to work hard and try to make sure that the data will look linear. We want to have this original data, but we want to work hard, introduce, transform this data, this input data, into something that may have more features in even more higher dimensional space. But if we map the data to this actual feature space, which can be higher dimensional, that in that space we can have the linear separation. So there is a transformation from input data to the uh, feature spaces where we hope to find the linear classifier. Because then our linear toolbox will work. So the question is, what is this uh, mapping? So, if this, this is what we learned that the maximize the linear separation, but if this is the original space, then you want, we want to have some sort of uh, mapping that twists this data into look more like this, and then we apply the linear separation. In here, both are two-dimensional, uh, but the, Trust me, this phi can even go to infinite, infinite dimensions. So in here you can see these uh, support vectors, the white ones in here, and the black ones in here. So the question is, how, how can this uh, curve be linear? The curve value can be made linear, for example, in here, if this is two-dimensional space, and, and if this is the ellipse around the uh, center of this uh, space or circle, then you, can, then you can introduce a third variable, for example, that is a distance from the origin. That is x1 squared plus x2 squared, and take the square root of that. Or you can so basically, the, the, the ellipse, well, the, the, the circle is defined by, by square plus square, right? So from two-dimensional space, we can map into three-dimensional space if you have originally uh, x1, x2, sorry for mistaking here, from x1, x2, we can introduce z1, z2, z3, which is in three-dimensional space, for example, by this kind of mapping, making, making x1 squared, x2 squared, and this may look strange for you at this moment, square root of 2 times x1 times x2. So basically, we take x1 squared, x2 squared, and yet a third dimension, which is x1, x2, multiplied by square root of 2. 
you could invent some other, you could invent any number of new attributes. But if we do this kind of mapping, then suddenly everything that will be close to the uh, origin, we can make a separate, uh, separated plane that tells you all the white away from all the blacks with a single linear classifier in this Z space. Z1, Z2, Z3. So with these weights W1, W2, W3, or Z1, Z2, Z3. The principle is that X1, X2, you are not limited to X1, X2, you can introduce new features based on those. Combine the features and then hope that your new features will be better. The reason here is, is more of a, some sort of a mathematical, uh, I think I, I can touch upon that soon. But once we have achieved this, we still have this linear separation, which just asks uh, what is the on which side of the plane we are, for particular x1, x2, x3, etc., uh, the particular point are uh, given these weights. And, and we have an input data set. We have uh, one, two, three, four n training examples, which are n dimensional spaces producing output by one, by two, by n. Remember, y is the output variable, we want to classify it zero, one, for example or two plus, it could be minus one plus one, zero plus one. So we, tra we will train, uh, we, we, we want to have this linear classifier uh, trained on this data, and actually it will be some sort of using these data points, it will be producing the hyperplane that uh, trained on this data, it ends up this function that wants to be a linear classifier will be here. So this is the, uh, for fx, particular x, actually what, how do we classify x is that we, uh, we sum over all the training instances at, uh, a, a1s in here. Uh, so x1s, x2, x3 are the training cases. So with the training cases, we can uh, compare the training cases and the new data point have the weights, alphas, and uh, these will be scalar multiplications in here. So there will be classifier based on these data points, uh, trained, the weights will be trained such that when we go um, over these data with the new data point, we can calculate the sign and decide what the value will be. For the support vectors, it's sufficient to have a few uh, few data points, I think, uh, defining the, the support vector. The scalar multiplication, A times B, is across all the dimensions from 1 to N, A, I, B, I. So basically, you take the first attribute of A and first attribute of B, A1 times B1 plus A2, B2, etc. So this is the scalar multiplication. You take two vectors, match the first, the second, third, fourth. Now, um, 
you want to have is the classifier that function for x uh, predicts y, and the predict y will be the side of uh, what will be over this hyperplane uh, for this x. Uh, what are the different weights for these uh, attributes of x? Are you uh, on one side or the other side of the plane? And uh, as was expressed previously, these, these weights will be trained as a sum over training data points uh, with the different weights, alphas, the training data points. So the weights will be trained and got this one, and our sign will be uh, then uh, the training scalar product, product with the new x. Uh, what comes in next is that x's in here are x1s are training examples. This is the uh, one that we want to classify. Remember, we said that we will plug in the transformation from low dimensional space to high dimensional space. This is scalar multiplication. If we now plug in the transformation, then these xi's can become phi of xi. The mapping from xi's map to the higher dimensional space. And this x can become phi of x mapped to the higher dimensional space. And still there is a scalar multiplication. In this higher dimensional space, we look at the first, second, third, fourth dimension. We do the scalar multiplications over those. So, original data space, we train the classifier mathematically, and then we calculate the sign. But after applying this fine transformation, it looks pretty similar. Therefore, we call this one in here, xi, x, that produces this output, this scalar multiplication, we call that a kernel of B. It's called a kernel. This is different kernel than the, the kernel density estimation. This is just a kernel that make, makes, calculates based on the original data points, calculates this scalar multiplication in the higher dimensions. So this one is represented as a kernel in here. Everything else remains the same. Alphas will be there. Uh, this constant will be there. And just kernel is this uh, scalar multiplication. This is important in the way that in the lower dimensional spaces we have a scalar product. All what we want from the kernel is to calculate the scalar product in the higher dimensions. Luckily, what it does not say is that we need to generate the higher dimensions. It is sufficient if we find some function kernel that would calculate the future scalar product without making the phi transformation error. Just calculates it. And this is called the kernel trick. So we want to have the, the kernel that uh, these are the training data sets, data sets x, y, and this is the new, we want to classify label this x. These are data points in the original space and uh, the new point, we want to make scalar product of the new data point to the previous data point. And what scalar product actually looks like is pretty much like distance. 
we then all of a sudden are down to almost like comparing distances between x and x all the xy's, summing over all the xy's. So this kernel, in a way, you can call this uh, scalar product as a distance between uh, two vectors, a and b, and uh, this is pretty much like uh, So this is, uh, <laughs> um, I have been listening and hearing these presentations for a long, long time, and it's, uh, for me, it's uh, um, sometimes hard to get, uh, well, also hard, hard to grasp, but just small example, what the kernel might look like. You have x and z uh, vectors, x1, x2, z1, z2. Our kernel should calculate uh, the scalar product between x and z, um, x's and z's, and we can call this as a scalar product squared. Uh, if we call x and z by scalar product of, of this x and z uh, scalar product squared, so what is this? x1 times z1 plus x2 times z2, right? So we, we have this scalar product squared, therefore this scalar product itself is x1, z1, plus x2, z2, right? This is the definition of the uh, scalar product of x and z. The first uh, multiplied plus the second aspects multiplied. And then we want to square. Squaring is this becomes squared, this becomes squared, and then we have x1, z1, x2, times x2, z2, twice. Just take this one squared. This is your school at night, on eighth grade, or even less. So, but this now is equal to this vector and this vector scalar multiplied. X1 squared times Z1 squared, yes, plus this one times this one, two times x1, x2, z1, z2. And uh, this one times this one gives this one. So this is squared, but this turns out to be scalar product of the vector made from the first x's and scalar product 
uh, I had the five made from the sets. So five and five transform x's into this, transform sets into this, and we have the scalar product in here. So in order to calculate this, we could map one to go from two-dimensional space into three-dimensional space by introducing x1 squared, x2 squared, and square root of x1 times x2. These are the new three-dimensional attributes. The same for the zetas. But to calculate this uh, scalar product in here, the kernel, in, in fact, is sufficient to just do these calculations in here. x1 times z1 plus x2 times z2 squared. These are the real values. You just calculate this one. This is the value that you get, but this is equal to this one. That is what we wanted. We wanted a mapping file out of which we, if we do the scalar multiplication, we want to get this value, and voila, this is calculated in here. Without making these things in between. So this is a particular uh, uh, case of the kernel or, or the mapping of phi that takes x original vector and maps it into this three-dimensional vector. And all that we needed is a scalar product of these uh, types of vectors, and this we can actually calculate from the original data values, not in this three-dimensional space. So we calculate in the lowest dimensional space, but what we get is the value as if we would calculate in, would be calculating the high, in the higher dimensional space. There are examples of these kernels, uh, x times z, the scalar multiplication, plus some theta, power to d. This is exactly what we have. We didn't have the, the class constant, we just had x times z squared x scalar multiplied by z squared. But this can be also other polynomials. Then there are some different uh, rate basic Gaussian kernels, so like how far you are in the Gaussian probability, what is the similarity, some uh, other functions, uh, sigmoid looking functions, inverse multi-quadratic, so there are different kernels that can be calculated using these expressions, comparing x and z, that will uh, calculate some distance between x and z. As long as they satisfy these uh, uh, properties that they will be scalar, multi scalar multiplication of, of the data in some higher dimensional space. So we can have these different kernels that work in the high dimensional spaces. In, in fact, they can be infinite dimensional space, but yet we work only on the original attributes. There are kernels that make the original data look as if it would be infinite uh, dimensions, but never making the infinite dimensions, just working in original space. So we can combine these kernels, we, uh, we can multiply, add constants, add them together, multiply them together, um, make, uh, make uh, different um, um, functions of x times fz. You can make any function for x. Uh, Scalar multiplied by any function of z. At 
this gives us linear classifier. So this is a linear straight line classifier between the uh, data points, highlighting the support vector. Pretty amazing, yeah? And for linear classifiers, the methods that we said that are optimizing the, the maximum margin, so basically, this is defined as a linear hyperplane between the points, plus maximizing the margin between the points, between the two classes, the blue and the red. The darker blue you are, the more certain you are in your classifier, the closer to the decision boundary, the less this, uh, sure you are. So that gives you this ROC curve. You are most certain in these dark areas, and when you start moving out, you will be less certain. So you have a natural order by which you classify. How far you, your data point will be from this defined decision boundary? And this can also tolerate for, for some errors um, because we have these loss functions that tolerate for, for some errors in the classifications, yet provide mathematically optimal uh, separation as if between the data points. So the task of separating the circles from the squares, this one actually boils down to finding a linear separation between the squares and the circles. And you introduce few uh, new attributes, uh, quadratic attributes, for example, or in your databases, or distances from the, uh, from the points. And uh, so this RBF radial-based function mapping, this looks as if a linear classifier in the actual feature space. This is the original input space, but with the radio basic function mapping, this would look like uh, different features, and in this different feature space, that would be a linear classifier. Uh, with ML demos, you can play around, you can introduce pluses and minuses, and you can look at what, what, what the boundaries will be. This is something that you can download in your computer. Um, play around with the dots, it can do clustering, it can do uh, some uh, machine learning classifiers, so you can actually make the clicks, make the two class labels, and then look what the uh, boundary will look like. With the different uh, classification is using the kernel method, using radar by basis function with the width and degree, what type uh, support vector machine, uh, what are the sum of weights in this uh, algorithm? And it does, does a linear classification. So, support vector machines are maximum margin or sort of largest uh, margin linear classifiers that, uh, or linear models, therefore, that will minimize these losses. You can, you can plug in mathematically. The complexity of the model plus what is the uh, uh, no, penalty of the model complexity plus how many errors you make. 
and you can plug in these mathematical kernels. And once you have the kernels methods, then you can just plug in nonlinearity and different data types. Then you can go to string uh, text data and start comparing texts with the text related kernels. You want to ask? Yeah. Uh, is it uh, like how do we make sure that uh, if uh, we I understand that basically the principle is just uh, based on the data or, or the variables in function, we just generate basically new variables. Yeah. We go into higher dimensions without getting new data basically, but how do we know that this kind of linearization in the higher dimensions is always possible? Is it we always don't. possible? We don't. We, we don't. The different kernels are partly there because maybe different kernels may achieve that linearization. You need to train and test on the best data to see if that is good or not. You can compare different methods on the test data. You still have the same training data, test data. You train and then you take some out of the pocket the test and you, you, you assess. Um, when, the, when the support vector machines came, they uh, started to outbeat uh, previous methods very well, the, the decision trees, etc. But once this uh, started to happen, also other methods uh, started to become better. Right? Not, you, you, you cannot always uh, have the optimal solution, but you have a high chance that you do. They, there, are, there are pros and cons of different methods. There can be training time issues. Support vector machines can take, may take more time to train than uh, some other linear, uh, simpler methods. Um, and then depending on the data, whether they work or not, yeah, it's, it's not always clear. There are cases when one method works better, there are cases when some other method works better. What I wanted to, I think, what we have roughly time is machine learning you can think of, let's grab some data, some complicated data, but you can also make yourself data. And making yourself the data allows you to know exactly what you are after and uh, test the different methods and look how they work. Unfortunately, this uh, machine learning gallery has not disappeared. This, as you can see, the guy was at some location, but there, this is not there. He just destroyed that um, historical uh, nice website. But the website was that you sort of define my plus and minus, the red versus green. This is my function. I want to learn, I want to test if my machine learning will be able to locate this area. This is my ground truth. I know that. Right? But how do you test or train? So there, is, there are these different layers methods, instance method, instance space uh, methods, logistic regression, rule and trees, support vector machines. You can test different methods for how good they would be on this type of class. Say. What you can do with this one, for example, or any other, and this is the beauty that you could go uh, back then, you could click, uh, click on those, and you could provide you can't see uh, training 400 data points. You make randomly 400 red ones in these red areas, 
uh, or pay 200 in grade areas, 200 in green areas. This is your training data. And for any point that you will be generating in the future, you know, uh, does it come from this area? That is, should be true positive. That should be positive or not. So you just make less or more training examples. This is 500 points, and you can have a wide range. The more training points you have, the better the, the training. And then these different support vector machine, these all support vector machine methods for different number of uh, training uh, cases, plugging <coughs> in different uh, different uh, kernels, Radio basis functions, uh, whatever the one and ten of one hundred, these uh, parameters are some SVM polynomial, polynomial one, polynomial two, and then you can sort of look based on these training examples which types of areas they would sort of learn. Right. So if I put in the dot in here, that would say that would be a red one, and that I know that it was a mistake because in between there should be a green one. But you can look at areas uh, what has been identified as as uh, learned from. Uh, so this this is another example where it makes many mistakes. Let me see if I can see yeah, different different uh, methods how well they train or what kind of areas they learn. So you can actually generate the test data and then see how well it works. In scientific learning in Python, you have the simpler uh, these Python scripts that actually do it for you. Now you can run yourself these uh, things easily. So this is a kind of the same, uh, the red and blue training data points. And what will be the decision boundaries by these different classifiers? Of the decision trees, uh, SVMs, random forests, uh, naive values, uh, Least discriminant analysis, I don't know what this all is. Decision trees will be sort of linear in here. You can look at the different classifiers on these data points. So this is uh, straight from, the, from this uh, home page. So end of demos I mentioned, that is uh, where you can install, uh, just click around in the R, most methods are uh, built in. In Vega, uh, uh, methods are built in. In Python, this scikit learn, scikit uh, science kit learn, machine learning in Python, you can, you can use these for different types of tasks. There are other uh, libraries, Python ML. So there is a choice, large choice of different methods that you or different software that you can grab. ML, this is. Uh, Pi ML, this is ML Pi. Make your pick. I don't know. Playground. Uh, this is something that, that I played on yesterday. Uh, this is uh, something to give a little bit of intuition about if you have heard about this deep learning recently. Deep learning is all about deep neural networks, very large neural networks. I showed you a single person one, and I showed you a simple with one hidden layer network of the neural network. But with, so this is like a input space, hidden layer, output space. 
but these network networks will be many layers of hidden layers. This is just one. You can add it here. Uh, two, three. You can add uh, the uh, more neurons in here. You can add different input variables x1, x2. What if I plug in x1 squared, x2 squared, x1 times x2? So you can make in from x1 and x2, you can make more input variables. Right? So this is our file, this uh, transition into high dimensional spaces. And then uh, you can select, well, this is uh, this, uh, I don't know if you can see this spiral data. The orange and blue uh, training points, and this is what this neural network would learn how to classify the spiral in here. Each neuron is a linear classifier, and you start training this by making some of the features which do not need to be linear in the feature space, but then you start putting weights, training, sort of what are the weighted averages in here. And maybe this will recognize with these types of from the shape, uh, shapes combined, you will recognize a corner. This is your x1, x2, this is like, uh, like xor, but this one, this one will give you one corner. So you will identify this, this is very illustrative, sort of like deep learning has been used in image analysis, you have, you have heard, right? So this is uh, all types of features these neurons would recognize. And then you have hidden layers that produce fire if they observe this feature, and then the uh, combination of these that fire on different cases, and they make the final neuron that is able to define this kind of decision boundary purely from linear separation. You can, uh, this works on your JavaScript, I think, on my, on my browser side. So you can select different data, play, uh, this is playground, so I let it run. Then I added uh, hidden layers in here, so you can have variables, you can have more or less neurons in here, and then this will learn a few other types, and then combine uh, this. There is some training speed, or sort of like uh, test laws, training laws, so basically, how well, how quickly your uh, classifier will learn uh, based on the test data and training data. So this this is amazing. You just go there, play play with this, and it, it will run all under your eyes. Try, uh, eyes try to visualize all these, the way how you, the inputs uh, flow from this neural network. Okay. Um, so we have talked, uh, illustrated everything with these two-dimensional uh, data, just data points in two dimensions. But of course you can have data that is uh, graph data, text data, uh, natural language processing, image analysis. You can plug in different types of data and work in these, uh, the same machine learning principles, just the feature spaces will be different. Do you have the same substring pattern or not in the text? Okay, this is the slide where I finish. We have one training example, second training example, third one, fourth through through. We have enough training examples that we need to just classify the fourth one. What is this value? 
cannot know. You don't know what is the function. It could be true, or in which case this is uh, x or y, or it could be uh, false, in which case it's exclusive or. Only not together zero, not together one. So it could be XOR function or OR function. And based on data, you, you can't decide that. And this, is, this generalizes for, in general, that for every function it's not possible. We make huge assumptions that our data comes from some distributions and our future examples come from the same distributions that the data really has some, uh, some, uh, some meaningful insights for the future. But based on this, you cannot say that there is always one method that we that every field is a method that we work, uh, that we can predict everything. No, that is not true. But in, in, in many cases, in natural, uh, in, in real life, we can predict uh, with high accuracy. And uh, just uh, this morning, there was this, uh, uh, I saw it on the, on the social media, there is no privacy anymore in the world. There was a Russian guy who went to the, um, Subway Metro in the in Moscow just took random photos of people. He said that they didn't care. I make a photo of you, just reading the book or something, they didn't care. Only photo. And he went to the face recognition system on, on the Russian contact uh, Facebook analog in Russia uh, from the images, all images on on their Russian Facebook. And he tagged pretty much everybody. Photo from the metro, photo from the from their profile page. One reading a book, the other smiling somewhere on the selfie. Right? Totally different images. Machine learning, learning to classify images, learning to recognize faces. Just photo is sufficient to identify you whenever. Right? You walk on the street, there is somebody making a photo of you on the camera. Um, we know where you have been last summer. At a point that we need to find the garden anymore. <laughs> I can't just take selfie of ourselves to log into. Because of some, because of some uh, false positive issues. For your security. So I take your device and I fool to be you, right? The false positives and, and, and false negatives. Okay, but, but indeed, it's, it's uh, surprising how, how big, uh, with the deep learning, how big uh, leaps the machine learning field has taken of predictive analytics, which is also what, which is the essence of the, the data mining. Characterize the data and learn how to predict the future. And this field has been really advanced very quickly over the last five years. Amazing uh, challenge. Okay.